want to talk to y'all today from the subject visioneering. 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 It's a combination of words, vision and engineering. I want to talk about how to bring your dreams into reality. Um, there are many people who have dreams, a vision. A vision is something you see, something that you can imagine. It's an idea. Engineering is the structure and the system and the plan, the strategy that goes into bringing the idea out of the clouds into a concrete experience, bringing it into reality. So visioneering as a concept is making your dreams reality. And basically, a vision goes through what I would consider a life cycle. It, it starts with, it, it kind of starts with what, but it really doesn't start with what, but also, what, your what is your vision, but really, the vision starts with a why. There is always a problem that we're trying to solve with a vision. There is some issue, there's some, there's some frustration, there is some pain, burden that we have. And then when we get this pain and burden in this situation that we're frustrated by or concerned about, God gives us a vision. And how many of you experience this? God will give you the answer. He'll give you the vision to say, this is how we can fix this. This is how we can do it. This is how we can grow it. And the idea is coming faster than your pen can write. You ever had God just download an idea on you? You're like, man, I can't even get this. This is like, it keeps you up. It wakes you up. That's when you're getting vision from God. And so, so what happens after that is, once you get the vision and the what, you experience what I call the how, which at some point begins to blur the vision. And by blurred vision, I mean sometimes when you're excited about the answer that you have to a problem, the product or services you have, the system you have to make this world different, to change this issue in our society or whatever you're trying to help, and you got the idea, then you hit like this technical wall. It's like they tell you, well, you got to get a permit for this. And you got to go through the county. And you got to go through the board of examiners or something like that. And you're like, well, who are they? And where do I go? So you go down, down, go, go downtown. You say you go downtown. You go downtown and fill out your paperwork. Then you go downtown and they say, well, you have to be certified. Where do I get certification? Oh, you have to go to the Department of such and such. And then you go down there on the fourth floor and they'll have you. And, and then, then you find, well, you got, it's a six-month wait on certification. And then you know what you say? Like, like most dreams die in how. It's not that you don't have a great idea. You feel me already, right? It's, it's not that you don't have a great idea and a great concept. It's the process. Like, I don't, I, I just get frustrated even trying to do this. And, 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 and when we run into all of that tension and that pressure, the how is when your interest meets your ignorance. And it doesn't mean you're ignorant. It just means, you're, it just means you don't know how that works. Because every vision will take you from what you know to where you're trying to go, but it always takes you through a place you've never been. 
You understand what I'm saying? So you move from the familiar to the unknown, but you must, you move from the familiar to the desire, but you must walk through the unknown. And when you walk through the unknown, you start running in the, in the, in the complications and you're like, and most people, most people that I'm talking to today that I'm assigned to talk to today, your vision is sitting somewhere in a file called, I don't know how. I just don't know how. If I ever, Pastor, if I ever can figure out how to do it, if I ever, it's a wonderful idea. And everybody you talk to, you talk to about it, and you really are clear on what, you're clear on the what. You're even clear on the problem it's supposed to solve, which is, I just don't know how. And so it's in a file, it's on a laptop, it's on a hard drive, it's in a closet, it's in a binder, it's in a journal, it's in your head, stuck in a place called how. And sometimes the how is not just technical, sometimes the how is, is financial. It's financial. Like, how am I going to pay for this? Because there's no vision that doesn't have costs associated with it. And we're like, well, I just don't have the money. And you know, church folk come along, and they always try to simplify everything with little cliches. And they say, well, God's will is God's bill. <laughs> God's choice is God's invoice. Like, <laughs> if, he, if it's God's vision, he'll give the provision. And I'm all for the little cliches, but I'm going to tell you something. Let me tell you, I'm keep it real with you. Whenever God's going to bless you, he's going to use people. And let me tell you how people operate. People going to want to know what money you put up. See, you want to raise money, but people who are, who, anybody's going to invest in you wants to know how much skin you have in the game. Since this is a sure bet, since this is sure to succeed, how much skin do you have in the game? Now, you don't have to have an equal investment, but you have to make at least an equal sacrifice. Like, you may not be able to give on the same level to the, to the mission as somebody else, but you got to have something in the game that's saying, I'm willing to put my resources at risk first. So sometimes the how is financial, sometimes it's technical, but am I, how many of you understand that somewhere between you getting the vision, solving the problem, and executing it, you got stuck in how? You understand that? Let me give you a quick commercial on how to get out of how. This might be the most important thing I say. The way you get out of how is you have to pay your way out of how. And, and, and you, know how, you, know, you know what you pay to get out of how? You pay a who. Who is your provision? So you move from a vision to a blurred vision to a provision because the provision is not just money, it's human capital. There is somebody who, can, who is a subject matter expert in the space you're stuck in. Let me give you a quick example. So, so I knew that I was supposed to make an audio version of my new book, Side Chickology. I knew I was going to have to make an audio version because a lot of people just will not read a book. They just... They listen to it while they're working out. They listen to it in the car. They buy the audio version. And I said, I got to make an audio version. And so I so, but then when it came time to do it, I was like, well, well how do I do that? I'm, like, well, I'm just going to read the book, record it in my phone, and send it over, say, send it to Amazon. Say, here's my book. Can y'all sell this for me? And I started researching audio book. And the complication and the specificity, which much you must do an audio book, will mess your whole life up. I mean, you have to have a certain spec mic. You have to have a certain, you have to meet certain requirements in the studio that you're recording from. There can't be background noise or sounds. So, so then you have to have, you deliver an audio book in files. 
And there are four different kinds of files. I only remember MP3 or MP4, but there are two other files. That's the only way you can deliver them. And these are, these, these are the standard files that you deliver them in. And then as I'm reading through all this, I'm reading through this material, then you click a button and it opens up another link. And then it opens up another link. And this is what you do on this part. And by the time I, I just like, I can't do this. It would take me three years to figure this all out, how to set the studio up. This is how God beats your how. Sometimes you're praying and say, I don't know how to do something. I'm praying. Y'all pray for me on this. And you come conversing with people. They don't have to answer. Your how will come through a who when you're not even expecting it. I was at a Wizards game, and I ran into somebody that I knew from the past, and we were catching up. I said, hey, man, how you been doing? He says, you know, I'm doing an audio book. He didn't even know. I don't, he says, I'm doing an audio book. And he says, yeah, I'm at Josh Davies' studio. He's the producer of it. He's producing audio book. I said, Josh Davies, he works for me. He's our MD. You mean Josh Davies know how to do an audio book? He got a studio and everything for it? <laughs> That's my who. See, because when you don't have a who, when you're stuck in how, you're having, you're doing actions. You might be, it's like being stuck in a ditch on a road. Your tires are spinning, you're revving up the engine, but you're not going anywhere. Because you have action, but you're not on the track. Once you get on the track and you add actions to the track, now you have traction. And what my who gave me was traction. Now I don't have to worry about, see, it would take me three or four years to figure out an audio book. Now I pay him. I give the content, he figures out the MP3, the mic quality, the editing, the files, because in an audio book, if you submit an audio book and one minute of the file is off, it can be, it's a six hour book, it can be minute, four hour, four minute, four hour, 13 minutes, something wrong with that file, you have to resubmit the whole file. You don't get to, you don't get to fix four hour, minute 13, you got to submit the whole file. So I let him, I pay him to do that. The way you have to pay for traction. You're stuck because you won't invest in traction and you're spending too much time trying to figure out something that you will never be a master at. Find somebody else. You need to be 501. Find somebody and say, how much do I need to pay you to 501c3 me? For $2,000, I can get you to 501c3. This is what I need. This is the vision. Y'all understand what I'm saying? That gets you traction again. And sometimes what will happen is you'll be talking to somebody and they don't even know that the conversation is giving you exactly what you needed for your next step. you be like, they talking to you like, you have no idea how what you said to me is exactly what I needed to hear. You just got me back on track. And the reason why you know the vision is from God, because he'll let somebody answer a question that you didn't even ask. Ooh, that's a good moment to thank God right there. That's how you get out of the how, how you get unstuck. You got to invest in it so that you're not wasting time trying to figure it out because your who gets you moving again. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be something, your vision could be, you know what, here's the problem. All you need is a problem to get a vision. The problem could be, you know what, I, I'm not real close to one of my kids. Well, I'm not, I, there's a family member that I want to be closer to. We, here's the problem. Our relationship is estranged. Here's the vision. I want to see us close. Now, you try little things and they ain't working. Now, you don't know how. But then you're talking to somebody else and they talked about how they got close to their kid. And you'd be like, man, I needed to hear that. Thanks for that idea. I got traction. You understand what I'm saying? That's how you do it in any situation. Then, I'm going to be looking at a man named Nehemiah. So, if you have a Bible, turn to Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah is a man who actually walks through this, what I would call this life cycle of a vision, how a vision impacts. 
There's a, there's a why he had a problem he was facing. There's a what he had a vision. He had challenges that he had to face. He had to put together a prayer. He had to put together a plan. I'll talk about it in a minute. And one of the things that Nehemiah had to face, that some of us will have to face based on the size of our vision, is haters. Which is phase four. I call that division. So you move from a vision to a blurred vision. You get traction. You have provision. Then you have haters, which causes division and distraction. And here's one more thing I want to put. One of the reasons why you get stuck in how is because of this question, when? Sometimes the wind represents the timing of God. Sometimes God will get us stuck in how because it's not time for the vision yet. And so until he synchronizes the hearts and minds of the people with us who need to be on board for the vision, he keeps us stuck in how so we can't move. You're, you're like, a, you're like, like get me, let me do this, let me do this, but it's not time yet. And let me just say this to somebody. I said it at Fort Washington, maybe somebody here. Sometimes we move too fast. So you hate your job, you love your vision. You hate your job, you love your vision. How many people can relate to that? Hate the job, you're grateful for the job, but you don't like it. But I love the vision. If you, lose, if you leave the job to be, it's one thing to leave the job to develop the vision. But the vision must be able to sustain you before you leave the job. Because if you leave the job and now you're dependent upon the vision you're establishing to take care of you, whenever you, whenever you eat from a tree that's not developed, you'll kill it. Now you're expecting something that just came out the ground to take care of you like this job that you don't like. I'm saying don't leave too fast. Ooh, that was worth you coming here today. You want to jump out there because you're excited. But don't be stupid. Ooh. Y'all didn't like that? Okay, that's fine. We're going to stay. So now, now, that's how this whole process flows. We start with a problem. If you, if you want to know if you got a vision, I would ask you this. What problem are you trying to solve? I don't believe there's a human being living who should not have a vision. Why would God waste molecular space on you? Why would he waste oxygen on you if there's not some problem you're supposed to solve? You're not just here to take up space. You're supposed to be solving a problem. How do you know what problem you're supposed to solve? What hurts you? Where's your pain? What have you experienced? What have you been through? What have you survived? What you survived wasn't just for you. That's why you shouldn't keep trying to hide it. Your trauma and your survival of your trauma is a part of your assignment. You don't have to be real deep about it. What do I love? What did you survive? <laughs> what have you made it through? That's for somebody else's benefit as well. And I don't think anybody should be living without a vision. And a vision can, again, be something as small as trying to resolve a, conf a, this, a gap in a relationship. So let's look at Nehemiah. Let's look at Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 1, this is how vision starts. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 2 says there was a man named Hanani who came, uh, who he had, one of his brothers came to visit him. And he starts asking questions about how it's going back where Hanani was. He says, how, how are people doing back over in Jerusalem? How's it going? And Hanani says, man, it's not good at all, verse 3. He says, um, he says, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates has been destroyed by fire. It's a mess. It is a mess. It's sad. It's depressing. Our neighborhood is gone. It's a hopeless situation. And Nehemiah said, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. 
In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. It always starts with a problem. One of the first things he did was he prayed. Everybody say pray. You have to pray. You have to pray. And if you read his prayer in chapters, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, he never prayed for a miracle. He prayed for opportunity. He prayed that God would give him what he needed to rebuild that wall. Why do I say that? A lot of church people want to pray for miracles so that it exonerates you from personal responsibility and help and do what you saw as a problem. So you say, you see them walls, God, send your power and build them. Then you go back to the cookout. Because you pray about everything, but you do nothing. Some of you don't even pray. You just put praying hands up. Matter of fact, church people need to stop saying, I'm going to keep you lifted. When somebody tell me, keep them in prayer, what does that mean? Keep you in prayer. You know how long I'll be praying to keep you? I'm going to pray for you right now. That's all I can promise you. I ain't going to remember to pray for you. Keep me lifted. That's a whole lot. You know how heavy you are? I'll keep you lifted. And keep me in prayer. And we be saying, I've been praying. I've been keeping you lifted. Stop lying to people. How are you going to tell 75 people I've been praying, I've been keeping you lifted? You lying. I just say, I, you, you, somebody said, told me the other day, man, thank you for keeping me in prayer. Well, I'm going to say, well, let me just say, I ain't been praying for you, but I'm telling you, I ain't been praying for you. I, I didn't know you wanted me to pray for you, but <laughs> where am I? Where am I? Prayer. First thing he did was pray. He didn't pray for a miracle. Some of the stuff we're praying for one God to do, God wants us to do it with his help. Faith without works is dead. And works without faith is vain. Don't just pray and don't just work. Pray and work. So that God says, God says like this, I'm going to do what I can. I want you to do what you can do. And I'm going to do what you can't do. Like he said to Mary, when he comes up to Mary, and says, Mary, I need to send the Savior through the world. The world is sin sick. I'm going to send the Savior through the world. And I just need you to be his mother. How? And that's what Mary says. Just how? How can this be? I know not a man. I'm a teenager. I'm a virgin. And I'm not married. How can I be? And God says, you do what you can do. I'm going to do what you can't do. I'm going to get you pregnant without you having sex. How about that? Have you ever done that? You do what you can do. I'm going to do what you can't do. It's like Moses. God told Moses, he says, it's time for the Egyptians. It's time for the Israelites to come out of Egyptian bondage. I'm ready to bring them out. But I want you to, I need you to lead them out. When Moses finally agreed, he's leading the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage. You know, a whole lot of stuff happened. And they're going to the promised land. Then Pharaoh changes his mind. He says, I want them to come back. He sends his army. He said, go back and get them. So Pharaoh's army is chasing the Israelites as they're going to freedom. And they come up on a boundary called the Red Sea with no boats. All these people. And now Moses is probably like, really, God? You know when you're leading people and you look like you don't know what you're doing? And you're like. So Moses is like, how? How are we supposed to get through this? And God says, stretch your staff. If you own a company, all your miracles are going to come through your staff. But you have to stretch your staff. You have to expose them to things. You have to train them. You have to develop them. He stretches his staff. That was free. He stretches his staff. And when he stretches his staff, he says, I'm going to use that as the divider. 
and I'm going to open up the wall, order up the water, and make two water walls. Then I want you to walk through, and I'm going to take, I'm going to take the sea floor and make it dry. I'm going to, y'all, that's good, right? I'm going to drive the sea floor. You know they walk through a ground on the sea floor. I'm going to make that dry. They're walking through. He said, don't even run. Just walk. Because I'm going to make the enemy get confused. They ain't going to be able to catch you. It's almost like a dream. You ever been in a dream? You ever had one of them dreams? You're trying to get somewhere and you never get there in your dream? You're like driving through traffic, cutting through cars, running through red lights, and you're still in the same spot. Like, that's what he did to them. And he says, and when all of y'all get out and you get out safely, I'm going to make the seafloor back to what it was. It's going to get muddy and slimy. And, and as Pharaoh's army comes through, their wheels are going to get stuck in the mud. And then I'm going to let the water walls crash them down so that you'll always remember, you do what you can and I'll do what you can't. It's not that I won't do miracles, but just don't try to make me do the miracle without using you. It's like when Jesus was told, 5,000 people out here, Lord, 5,000 men are hungry. All we got is a bag lunch. Oh, we got two fish and five loaves and one boy's lunch bag, 5,000 men, not including women and children. How? I know you want to feed them, Lord, but how? He said, give me the lunch. Bring me the bag. He takes the bag and he blesses the fish, blesses the loaf. He blesses it and he breaks it and he passes it out. Watch this. He says, y'all sit the people down in groups of 50. And what I love about Jesus, he didn't take the fish and loaves and give it to the people. He took the fish and loaves and gave it to the disciples. He says, now y'all give it to the people because y'all going to participate in this miracle. They passed out the food to all these people, and people ate so much they was burping, unbuckling their pants, <laughs> getting, falling asleep. And he says they collected the leftovers. It was 12 baskets of leftovers so that every one of his disciples would be able to walk away saying, I do what I can. You do what I can't. He can do miracles. He never prayed for miracles, but God did miracles. And here's, another thing. here's what he did pray. He prayed in verse 11 of chapter 1. He says, Lord, I work for the king. Give me favor with the king. I'm the king's cupbearer. Give me favor with the king. Here's what you have to do. Whenever you are, whenever you're trying to execute a vision, always pray for favor with people with affluence and influence who can help you push your dream ahead. Because when you have a big vision, it's going to take more than your resources to get it done. So you have to be willing to go to kings and presidents and people of affluence and go to people that don't even know you and ask for their help. Now, you know why we don't do it? The reason why we don't do it is because we said they're going to reject us. But you got to have a dream that's bigger than your ego. You got to have a problem you're trying to solve that's more important than the reputation you're trying to protect. Is it more important that you try to serve the people you're trying to help with this vision you have than your reputation? Some of us are lying fear. I'm, I'm telling you, if you're going to do something real big, you got to have somebody real big help you. And all they can do is say no, get out of here, ignore you, or help you. That's the worst they can say is no, ignore you, or they're going to help you. You got three options. Just ask. He says, Lord, and pray. Say, God, give me favor with people who can help me accelerate this. Now, he's got the vision. Now he moves into how. Everybody say how. In, in chapter 1, when you read through chapter 1, several times the word plan comes up. Sam Ballard and Tobiah are two men in this story who are the nemesis of Nehemiah. They are always combative with him. And the Bible says they got upset because of his plan. Everybody say plan. You got to pray and plan. You got to pray and plan. You got to pray and plan. Your plan is your dream on paper. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2 says write the vision down and put it upon tables or tablets so that the reader can run with it. 
You got a plan. Plan. What is your plan? That's the engineering part of the vision. What is your strategy? Somebody in this church sent me a message one time says you can't just think it, you got to ink it. I don't know who you are, but that's the last time I will ever give you credit for it. I'm going to say it like I came up with it from now on. This was your day. I love that statement. You can't just think it, you got to ink it. Very important that you document. And in the how that you discover who are the subject matter experts in matters where I'm stuck. Every time you get stuck, you got to pay for traction. Y'all hear me? You don't get out of traction for free. And don't try to become an expert on something that distracts you. Ooh, that's good. Your, your traction is not supposed to keep you distracted. It's a cost to get unstuck. Who are the people supposed to be around you? So Nehemiah is in this, is, is, is now, he's got his vision. And the first thing that happens in chapter 4 that I want to point out is the haters come. In chapter 4, he's got people who tried to mock what he was doing. You need to be prepared for that. In chapter 4, Sambalan and Tobiah and Geshem are having a conversation. And basically, here's what they're saying in verse 2. What are these weak, feeble people trying to do, thinking they can build a wall in one day, just making sacrifices? But they, how are they going to rebuild all this rubbish and these charred rocks? What do they think they're doing? And then Tobiah comes up in verse 3. He says, man, that stuff's so weak, a little fox could run across their wall and crush it. Let me teach you something. The cost of admission to the next level is petty criticism. Mark that. The cost of admission to the next level is always petty criticism. And here's why you have to understand that. See, the reason why a lot of people aren't used to getting criticized and hated on is because your circle is so small that you only have your friends and family in your circle and they applaud everything you do. But as soon as your brand gets bigger and your platform gets bigger and you're more exposed, which is what you want. I want more clients. I want more exposure. I want my brand out there. I want people to know what I'm doing. Well, what comes with that is more clients and more attention, but it also comes with the people that don't know you and don't care nothing about your little feelings. Your family don't say nothing to you. Oh, that brilliant, that beautiful, that beautiful. People that come on there and say, that's stupid. It ain't going to work. That's whack. People that come on your post, on your page, with no identification, you don't even know who they are, and start talking about how you write. They'll say something like, you know what, you, 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 need, to write, you need to write your the right way. It's Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, not Y-O-U-R. When you're telling somebody you're going to have a great future and you're just trying to encourage kids and inspire people, you're going to have a great future. You put Y-O-U-R. You should have put Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. You need to get your grammar right. And then you find your mother. And then... <laughs> I'm saying don't you, you, if you're going to ascend, you can't do petty for petty. Because watch this, there's always a kernel of truth even in hyperbolic criticism, even when people are sicing it. Even if a person is, is mostly crazy, don't miss, the, don't miss the small thing that they said that was helpful. Because they're right. Because if you don't get your contractions right, now you're writing, now you're just not writing posts to your followers. Now you're writing proposals to presidents and governors and people that got money, and they're going to reject you because they think you're stupid. 
And so you just shut somebody down because they missed the bigger picture. And I'm saying you're missing the important point because even a hater can help you. I mean, who understands what I'm saying here? For years, for years, for years, I used to, I used to think conversate was a word. I used to preach that. Yeah, we was, doing, all, we was just conversating. And a lady, an English teacher, and some of y'all saying, what's wrong with that? There was a lady in our church years ago, she was an English teacher, and she just wrote me one time, real nice about it. She said, why do you keep saying conversate? And I was just, what, you don't like it? I didn't know what was wrong with it. I said, ain't that short for conversation? Just because we hear something all the time don't even mean it's a word. The word is converse. So here I'm up here in front of a thousand people telling me, yeah, we just conversating. Always take the kernel, because watch this, sometimes even a hater can help you perfect something. You may not even respond in public, but make sure you fix it in private. It can help your approach. You understand what I'm saying? You got to be willing to handle criticism. And oh, let me give you one more thing. Let me give you one more thing. Shots are always fired up. You'll get that on the way home. If somebody going to shoot you down, they're under you. You know why shots are fired up? It's because people who are over you are not intimidated by you. So whenever you get shots fired at you, always respond from where, they're, from, from where the shot hit and not from where the shooter is. Because when somebody fires shots at you, no matter how successful you are and no matter how saved you are, it taps into a ghetto part of you. How many of you saved but still got a hood part in you that if you push it, oh, you asking for Keith now. This ain't, oh, yeah, come on. Oh, you want me? So now we're taking our earrings out, pulling our sleeves up, ready to fight. Now I'm having a petty conversation back and forth with somebody who really is just a distraction. Now I'm out on the street fighting with Christian tags saying I love Jesus on the tag. And we out there strapping. Or maybe I'm a 33-year-old genius who's transforming my community in L.A. But because I gave access to somebody crazy to convert. You can't just say stuff to crazy people. Anybody crazy enough to shoot you up and kick you in the head, you shouldn't even be having a conversation with that person. How we have, even if it's the truth, you got to be careful what you say to sick people. You guys let people just go, just go on, man, just go on, okay, enjoy your life. Let me tell you how I handle this. Whenever I get criticized, it happened today. So just today, between services, I got an email. It didn't even come to me, but somebody blind copied me so I would see it, right? The email says, this person's listening to our radio broadcast, and I, and I, I, mean, I, I have no problem because I, I, because I was teaching this, I knew how to respond. person listening to our radio broadcast says, yeah, I just want y'all to know what kind of church is this where y'all make people pay to get the word of God. And I was listening to the radio broadcast and went on your website trying to hear the rest of the message because I only heard part of it, wanted to hear the whole message, and, you, and y'all said I got to pay $4 for the download. I think it's either $1.50 or $4 for the download. So they said, what kind of church is this? Y'all make people pay for the word. He said, I'm going to be praying for y'all, right? So when I saw that, oh, it hit a whole lot of stuff, right? It hit a whole lot of stuff. So then I, I, I responded like this. 
I say, oh, thank you. So I put the person's name. They thank you for that feedback. And I am sorry um, for that, for the way we handle that being offensive to you. I said, if you, as you've been told, if you go to our uh, Zion app or our Vimeo page, you can see any of our messages from 10 years back for free. I said, people who listen to our radio broadcast are directed to another site. That's just a small way that we try to pay for that airtime on the radio because we pay over $200,000 a year to be on the radio so people can hear the Word of God for free. Those $4 that people pay to get the rest of the message are only a scratch. They don't even scratch the surface. I said, but if you have another way that you suggest that we handle that, please let me know. I really appreciate what you said. Thanks so much. That's what I said. <laughs> Whenever I do that, the problem goes away. That person's probably an ally now. Hey, man, that's what I'm talking about. You a real dude. <laughs> the only people that keep fighting me is the people I argue with. If you ignore something, usually it'll go away or they keep messing with you. But anytime you're nice to somebody, even somebody that's being petty, just say, God bless you. I appreciate good looking out. Thank you for that information. God bless It goes, I don't even know why. It just goes away. You have to be able to handle that because that's the price of admission to the next level. One of my staff members said, just put this face in. Really? Like we got to deal with it? That's it. That's the cost of being where we are. That's the cost of this level. That's the cost of being on the radio. You want a bigger platform, you got to handle this part of it, y'all. People going to hate you. People going to mock you. People going to make fun of you. What you going to do? You keep going. You keep going. You appreciate them. Thank you for that observation. I really appreciate it. That was good insight. Because if you crumble under criticism, how far can he take you? Nobody has a 100% approval rate. It gets worse, though. It gets worse. In Chapter 6, the intensity picks up. The intensity picks up in chapter 6 because now they go to another level. Now they're starting to threaten the man. In chapter 6, they're so mad. Verse 1 says, when, when Tobias, Sanballat, and Geshev, when they realized that we had built the entire wall, but we hadn't put the gates up on the doors, they decided in verse 2, they said, hey, we need to meet with you. They said, the message asked me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. He should have known that. He should have known that by the name of the place. He said, "Come meet me in Oh No." <laughs> you just got your answer. Anybody want to have lunch with you in a place called Oh No? <laughs> that don't even sound safe. The Lord spoke when you wrote it. So they sent him this message. Says, "So I replied by sending them this message." He says, I told them I can't come because I'm doing a great work. Y'all going to make me do it without this? I'm doing a great work. So I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? I'm doing a great work. Why should I stop? I'm not going to let you distract me. But watch what they did. They didn't give up. Four times, he says, they said the same thing. Man, come meet with us and oh, no. Each time I gave the same reply. So verse 5, they stepped it up. They said, Sam Ballard's servant came again with an open letter in his hand. And this is what he said. He says, this is what it said. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you're building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. That's what you're really doing. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there's the king in Judah. You can be very sure that this re report will get back to the king, so I suggest you come and talk it over with me. You're trying to intimidate him. They're lying. So watch what he does. He says, I reply to them, there's no truth in any part of your story. You're making the whole thing up. Verse 9. 
They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continue to work with even greater determination. What do you do when somebody's stepping up their, their hatred of you so much that they're intimidating you, threatening you? Some of us will never face that. In verses 10 to 14, if I were to read further, they got clergy involved. There was a priest. In verse 10, he goes over a priest's house. This is a man. Invite him over his house. He gets over to the man's house, and the man says in verse 10, he says, hey, look, we need to go in the temple and lock the doors because they're coming to kill you tonight. And I'd have been like, why you tell me to come over here if you knew they was going to kill me tonight? <laughs> Nehemiah said, what do I look like running from danger? What do I look like running into the temple to save my life? That's, a, that's a, actually a violation. You can't just run into the temple. You're not the priest. He said, well, I'm going to run in there and then lock the doors and then the work stops. But he says, I knew that they weren't speaking of God. He said, I know God wasn't speaking through him. He says, I realized that Sam Ballard and Tobiah had hired him. They're hiring preachers to say something about him. Let me give you a quick lesson. Never meet with somebody in private you don't trust. If it looks suspicious and feels suspicious, I'm going to suggest it is suspicious. Let them come on your territory. Don't meet with anybody. I don't care if they saved. And get your attorneys. If you got a meeting coming up and you're not sure about the legalities of it, make sure you got your legal stuff together. If you own the rights to this stuff, you'd be surprised at how tricky some people are. Be careful. Protect yourself. Have security if you have to. Security is a deterrent of foolishness. I ain't got time. I got children. I got a grandchild. I'm trying to go. I ain't trying to time to be fooling with you. Because see, even if you try to act hood again, you try to snap back into your hood, the hood doesn't change now. You think you're about to fight. You're about to get shot. Like, so what it is. <laughs> you don't even know what the latest word is. So what it, what, you, what it is. You don't even know what to say. What it is. <laughs> you can't just be going snapping back in and out of that. So, 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 so this, so, so, but sometimes it's not evil that's distracting us. Everybody say distraction. I'm going to close with this. Sometimes the distraction is good thing. Some of us are not distracted. See, some Christians are too committed to God to be distracted from their vision from something evil. We get distracted by doing good things. So many good things, we don't have time for the right thing. So you're busy serving, you're the team mom on the football team, you're the team coach on the basketball team, and you're ushering and you're greeting and you're on the praise team and you're volunteering and you're reading and you're doing all this stuff. But, but, and here's the thing, when it comes to the vision, your assignment, you're too busy. You ain't busy doing wrong, you're just busy. And your busyness, the devil's distraction has caused you to lose traction. Distracted by busyness. Here's another thing. Here's another distraction. It's when we put second things first. I want you to write that down because it's going to matter when I tell you this. Putting second things first when you have a vision is a distraction. What do I mean? Anytime I make making money more important than helping people, I'm distracted. That's second things first. Put, making pe put bringing value to people first. Put Helping people. For, if you bring value to people, the money will come. But if you say, I just want to see how I can make money out of this, you'll reduce your value to hustle. That's second things first. Okay, let me do it like this. You know I'm going to bring it to relationships. I will bring every message to a relationship. 
when a man and a woman get engaged, it's like front page news. It's all on social media. He asked, and I said yes. <laughs> it's hashtag, it's all, kind, it's all that, right? Such a big moment. Not long after that, immediately, the, the, the both people are thinking, we're going to spend the rest of our life together. It's a big moment. In most cultures, right after that, the focus is off of the marriage to the wedding. Especially for y'all ladies. It's all about the wedding. I know. It's in my house now. I'm about to marry my wife again after 30 years. That's all she's thinking about all the time. She's working her Hun, come here. What do you think about this? Did you see the email? I'm like, what is what did you know? It just came from New York looking for dresses and all this stuff. Oh my no. You ask me what I'm wearing. What I what, I'm wearing a warm-up. That's all I'm gonna have money to wear after all this. When people get engaged, and the closer you get to the wedding, the more the focus is on the wedding. The less is on the marriage. And the wedding is meticulous. As Andy Stanley says, I've never, he said, Andy Stanley says, some one time I agree with, he says, I've never seen an ugly wedding. Never seen an ugly wedding. It's meticulous, it's beautiful, it's harps playing. It's, is that Keisha? I mean, the bride don't even look like herself. Good <laughs> Lord, Keisha done transformed. Everything is in place. We know where people are supposed to sit and who's supposed to speak and who's supposed to talk and who's supposed to, who the, the color coordination and the flowers and everything is centered. And don't stand right here, right here on this. Right here is where you stand. Don't stand right here because you're not going to be symmetric. You got to stand right here. Everything is flawless. It is major. Never seen an ugly wedding, but seen a whole lot of ugly marriages that had bomb weddings. All of that focus into a 20-minute ceremony. Very little focus onto a 40-year relationship. And four years later, they broke up and divorced and had a bomb wedding. And I'm saying you need to bring everybody back from the wedding and bring them over your house. Since y'all was in the wedding, you should be into this marriage. I want the best man there, the bride of honor, the maid of honor, the bridesmaids, the groomsmen, the minister especially. Big mama, everybody sitting there. How you going to end the marriage when you said in front of us who were the witnesses that you were going to stay married? Now you get to break up when we ain't there. The devil is a lie. I don't even care if y'all don't like me. How you get to end the marriage by yourself? When you said in front of all of us, and we bought y'all pots and pans and toasters. I want my toaster back. You know why? You had a meticulous wedding plan. You had no plan. I know I'm telling the truth. That's because you put second things first. I don't even think you should have weddings. Just do away with them so you won't get distracted. Just focus on us. Let's take that money for the wedding and put it into a house. Let's just have Sam and Steve and Betty come over and eat some crabs and say I do. If I'm, if I'm speaking the truth, somebody say amen. amen. It's Palm Sunday. You got to say amen, 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 amen. Let me give you two more things and I'm done. I got one more. Here's another distraction, fear. 
Sometimes we're just scared. I got, I know the problem I want to solve. I know what I want to do, but what if it don't work? What if I look stupid? What if I fall flat on my face? <laughs> and I said, I'm going to say it again. If your vision, what you, what you, what you are trying to get done has got to be more important than how you're viewed. The only thing that can overcome fear is love. Perfect love casts out fear. Somebody asked me recently, do you ever get scared when you preach? I said, I only get scared when I don't love the people I'm talking to. You know, when you say, this is people who rather die than to speak in front of me. If I said some of y'all over there, come up here and talk in front of you. You say, man, you do my funeral first. <laughs> you know why? Because you're more concerned about you than what you have to share to help people. I don't know how I look. I don't know how I feel, what they're going to say about me. It's, it's, if it's about you, you're going to be scared. But if I love y'all, I don't have to be afraid. You understand what I'm saying? I don't have to, I don't have to fear you. But if I'm in love with how you view me and what you think of me and when you say I did a good job, if that's important, that's scary. You understand what I'm saying? Same is true with your vision. You got to love the people you're trying to help. You got to love the problem you're trying to solve more than you're afraid of how you're going to look. Or you'll never do it. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'll give somebody traction who's stuck in a space called, how do I do this? They're stuck in technicalities and paperwork and obstacles and pain and disappointment and limited resources. But I pray that you would give them a strategy to pull it off. Show them who. <laughs> Show them the people that will help them to gain traction and move the agenda forward. At every obstacle, at every wall, show them who. And may you get the glory through it all in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>